Welcome to Untangle, the meditation podcast from Gaim. I'm your host, Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who have devoted their lives to teaching and helping others through meditation. In today's episode, I interview Nikki Myers by phone. Nikki is a recovering alcoholic, addict, and the survivor of childhood and adult sexual trauma and domestic violence. She calls herself the poster child for an at-risk life. Born of her personal struggle and trauma, she's now a yoga therapist, addiction recovery specialist, and founder of the Yoga of 12-Step Recovery Program that weaves the best of yoga and meditation with the practical tools of 12-step programs. Today, you can find Nikki's programs all over the country. Her work is truly amazing and heroic. Before we begin, we'd love to hear from you. If you have feedback on our podcast, let us know at untangle at guyam.com. Now, here's Nikki's story. Nikki Myers, it is so wonderful to have you on our podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me. Oh, yeah. So I'd like to start by giving our listeners a little bit of background on the life of Nikki. If you could just tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up, Nikki, it would be great. Um, I am right now here in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is the place where I, in fact, grew up. As a matter of fact, where I'm sitting right now is probably within a half a mile of the house that I was brought home to as an infant. And for lack of a better word, a lower middle class neighborhood, our family was one in uh, a neighborhood where there were most mostly single parent households. And mine was a household where both parents were present. So, um, you know, very, very, very lucky around all of that. We were kind of the go-to house in the neighborhood. My father was in produce, and he would often bring produce home. And, you know, we literally had a white picket fence and a a dog. So particularly from the outside, everything looked really good. And from the inside? Um, There were a lot of things going on. Um, My father was pretty much a a rageaholic. He would rage a lot. And my mother was dealing with her own alcoholism, you know, and again, you know, remember I was born in 1953. So there were a lot of things going on culturally as well, particularly as it related to African-Americans in the United States. Right. So, so we've got this cultural context We've got, you know, a, a traumatic historical context that both my parents grew up in and, you know, their own family situations and things like that. Well, what did you observe of that as a child? Were you afraid? What, what did that feel like for you? For a while, I adopted, you know, almost a, a little bit of a perfectionist personality around it. I knew that if, if, you know, I stayed relatively quiet and did all the things that, that I needed to do, 
then I would render myself relatively invisible. Or safe. In, in, yeah, it, for, yeah, and I did that out of, out of a, a sense of safety. And that was for a little while. And then, you know, um, I developed a, an attitude of a rebel. I went the exact other way. And I started calling out what I, I saw. And that was is not very well received. I always say that when I was growing up, there were no such thing as child protective services or, or any of that. <laughs> I took on many things relative to as as uh, a way to look to keep myself safe. Right. I think I read somewhere that your first drink was when you were 13. Is that right? And exactly. Was that in the house with your mother or was that somewhere else where you said, okay, everybody's, you know, everybody's drinking, so I'm going to do that too? The very first one was with a set of peers, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, uh, we got our hands on some alcohol. And for me, it was just like immediately, like I had come home. When you say you had come home, did you feel like a numbing of your feelings that had been so sad and frustrated? Is that what you mean? No, I mean, my nervous system felt regulated. Oh, dear. Okay. Absolutely, because that's what that stuff does. What we know is that it's not sustainable, but you got to believe that that works. It works. Using alcohol and drugs work for a minute. Right. It's simply not sustainable over time. Mm -hmm. It works till it doesn't. Right. And then it doesn't and then it doesn't work anymore. And now, as we know about what's going on in our brain, we become so attached to it. That is and even at a physiological level that is difficult to let it go. Does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I so so you take your first drink, you feel better. It's only for a short time that you feel better, so you take a second drink. Is this when you start to become addicted because you're rewarding yourself with alcohol? Well, it, yes, it works, right? And so when I discover nervous system regulation with a drink, I'm like, oh, my goodness, right? And it sets it up so that you want more. I'm not dealing with, with any of the, the cause I want to feel that feeling of regulation over and over and over again. And part of the problem with drugs, alcohol, any really, you know, even other addictive behaviors is the time period gets shorter and shorter and shorter that they provide that kind of regulation. Right. And then it starts going the other way. <laughs> Were your brothers and sisters um, also drinking with you or were they? No, my, I am the youngest of four. I have an older sister that's some 13 years older than me and an older brother that's 12 years older than me. Okay. So they were kind of off and on their own path, doing their own thing from that perspective. Okay. So you're home. You're basically an only child at that point. You're home with your parents. Your mom's an alcoholic. Your dad's a rageaholic. And you're starting to, to drink and feel good. And then you're starting to take drugs. Yeah. Um, so I end up dropping out of high school. My first marriage was when I was 17 years old. 
And by uh, 18, I, I actually had a child that was uh, born and lived for several hours and then, um, and then died. So I have a deceased child. And I start, I had two children in the course of this. I'm in a marriage that um, was extremely uh, abusive. I stay in that marriage for 10 years. And, um, you know, a lot of different things happen in the course of that marriage. You, you know, and I, I don't say any of this to put any of it in the category of good, bad, right, wrong. Again, one of the big teachings and learnings for me is that, you know, if all the things that happened had to happen, and for me to be right here where I am right now, really in this present moment talking to you, you know, and doing the work that I do in the world, I'm, I'm okay with all of it. So again, I finally leave that relationship and move to Atlanta. I found myself in um, a situation where I, I was in the streets and into commercial sex work. So what happened next? Um, I found myself uh, in trouble uh, with, with the law. And uh, it was then that I called my ex-husband. And we remarried. And I moved from Atlanta to L.A. And he and I together were very involved in the whole world of drugs and things got really, really, really bad. I was still functional as far as, you know, in, in many aspects of, of working in the world and doing a lot of different things. I was actually working for a, a software company so you get all these things going on all at the same time. It really is a, a fascinating thing. Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of like what you were saying before, of being able to hold this duality, being able to love your parents and at the same time understand that there were conflicts and difficulties with that relationship. And here you are having, you know, a, being in an abusive relationship on drugs and yet you outside you're able to still sustain a job and look to people like everything's okay. So did something crack open at that time? Or did you continue on with your job and living that sort of dual life? I continued on. The abuse got so severe that I called some family members and asked them to help me out, right? And so they brought me back to Indianapolis. And that was when I went to my very first rehab, which was in 1987. Okay. And how, and, and so you went through rehab and how long were you sober? Um, through the course of that, uh, coming out of rehab and really, really at this point being introduced and engaged with the 12 step program, I stayed clean and sober in that way for eight years. Wow. Within that eight years, I went back to school. Uh, well, first I finished my undergrad degree with straight A's. 
And then I went and got my MBA. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I knew that there were some smarts, if you will, some, some brights there. And I, I at least had it academically. I stayed clean that way for, for eight years. Wow. And so did your life completely change at that time? Is this when you started doing yoga and meditation? Was When did that actually start in the story? Well, I was actually introduced to yoga in the early 70s. You know, it was one of those things that um, I knew that there was something there. I knew that something was being affected by that. However, at the time, you know, men and sex and drugs and, you know, all that kind of thing would seem to me to be much more interesting. When I was reintroduced to yoga, it was in the 90s. I was introduced to Bikram yoga. And, uh, and it came out of, I had developed a condition in my body uh, called sciatica. And so I happened to go to a doctor around that condition. And she said, you know, I'm going to give you muscle relaxers for this because um, that's going to help the immediate problem. She mm-hmm. said, but it's, you know, long-term, long, you know, it's going to help the acute issue. She said, long-term, that's not the way to deal with this. And she said, if I were you, I'd find a good yoga teacher and a good yoga class. And I did that. And I, again, first found Bikram yoga and then found um, Ashtanga. And so for years had had an Ashtanga practice and I started working with like middle schoolers. And when I became really fascinated was when I saw the effect that the practice, the Ashtanga practice in particular had on these kids, the administrators would love it when I came to their uh, school. They would say things like, you know, after you leave, uh, for a couple of hours anyway, you know, the kids have a focus that they don't have. There's a, a, a level of attention and we can do our job in mm-hmm. a way. And we see this, you know, right after you leave. And I became fascinated and really got into the study of philosophy to try and look and understand what was it in this physical practice that would have that happen. Did you want at that time to teach children or when did it, when did you first discover that you could really help with addicts? I really didn't want to teach children. I was, you know, doing that to support my teacher because she had this gig and while she was away, I wanted to do what I could to support her. But as I got deeper into the philosophy, I started to notice so many things that were so in line and matched what was said and what was uh, 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 the basis of the 12-step program. One of the first books that I read was um, The Heart of Yoga. And, you know, I still use that book a lot. But I, I so, so clearly remember as I'm, I'm reading that book going, oh, my goodness, this sounds like the 12-step program. Give me a sense of what some of the similarities are between what you were learning in yoga and the 12-step program. Particularly in the heart of yoga, the way that it's portrayed graphically is there's this tree and the tree has four branches, but the root of the tree is something called avidya, right? And avidya means false understanding, misperception, ignorance, 
not like stupid, but not knowing, mm -hmm. ignorance of not knowing. And the yogis say that that's the root of the tree. And the 12-step program basically says the same thing in, in a certain way. They say that it's what the 12-steppers the call stinking thinking is the root of our problem. And the yogis are saying the same thing, that there's this basis when, when, that is the root of suffering. And the, the idea is that I'm addicted to the way that I process my reality. Do, do you understand? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. But tell us what you mean by that. I'm addicted to the way that I process my reality. The yogis speak about it is that there's a, a veil or a filter, the sense of, of ego, now, not good, bad, right, wrong in, in ego, but there's this, this veil of me through which I see everything. There's a quote that I love. I first heard from a, a yoga teacher many, many years ago, but it says, I am content to see a mountain as a mountain and not as a comment on my life. And the idea of that is that, you know, when I see a mountain, I say big, but it's only big in relationship to me, through the veil of me. And so that's the whole idea, that we see everything through that filter of us. And it's not the whole. It's simply not the whole. And 12-step program, we talk about ego as edging God out, Right. Or, or edging spirit out, or edging the universe out, whatever it is that you want to call that. And then there's the two that you were speaking about that are branches of this tree. One is called raga, which is attachment. And attachment says, you know, it was great yesterday, so I want to make today just like it was yesterday. So, <laughs> you know, we get attached, and, you know, we want to, particularly if something's pleasant, we want more of it, more of it, right, more of it. And the other branch is called devesa, and devesa is the opposite of that. It's avoidance, right? I want to run away from something, right? And either one creates these pathways, these things that we'll continue to do to either avoid or, you know, get attached to, to crave, right? And then the last branch on the tree is something called apenivesa, which is fear, and in the 12-step program in particular, we, we talk about fear as an acronym that can be resolved a couple of ways. One is F everything and run, right? That's a, a resolve for that acronym. But another way is to face everything and recover. And when I think about that, you know, that's like the work that yoga teaches us is to stay present. It's stay present not just when it's peaches and sunshine and granola and blooms, right? But to stay present even when we don't like, you know, what's in front of us. So it's the same, those are the same kind of teachings across both. So I started putting these things together and then I lost myself again. I let the 12 step program go and then I relapsed again. I relapsed again. So I was clean for eight years, then I relapsed. Okay. And then I was clean for four years, then I relapsed again. It, it was just one of those things where uh, I wasn't taking care of myself very properly. 
Um, and one of the things they'll tell you in the 12-step program is don't let yourself get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in those conditions, other parts of, quote, unquote, the personality pop up and you don't make great decisions. I, I found myself in a situation at a conference where by the time I got there, this dinner had already been served. There was dessert, which happened to be orange sherbet served in champagne. And I made a decision and I did that. I drank it. And one thing led to another. Um, by the time that trip was done, I'd found my way back to Amsterdam and found my, my uh, drug of choice. I hadn't had a drink or a drug in my body for eight years. But that pattern was still there. I knew exactly what to do, exactly where to go, exactly how to talk and become in a foreign country to get my drug of choice. Is this why, maybe an obvious question, but is this why it is so absolutely hard to stop an addiction that is so strong like alcohol and drugs? You know, even... Neuroscience has begun to give us a lot of insights into what goes on in the brain. So, you know, drugs, alcohol, all of that stuff have been a, a, a groove or a pathway in my brain for some 30 years, 30 years, right? And, you know, so there's a groove there. <laughs> Yoga, meditation, the 12-step program, eight. When it was evolved in that way, it was easy to go down that, again, when it came up again, this pathway of least resistance. This is why the 12-step program and going to meetings is so important, because every day or every however often you go to your meetings, you're getting that community reinforcement. So That's exactly right. That and, you know, I, I tell people all the time, it's, it's just like going to my mat, right? Yeah. I do. I go to my mat every day. I have to keep that coming back to that, just like I have to keep coming back to this other world. Right. So this is this becomes your nourishment. You you commit to going to the meetings and you commit to your yoga practice and your meditation practice and this is how essentially this is how your current program that you've got began. Is this, That's right. Yeah. Cuz you you saw that you needed a toolbox. That's right. That would be there for you for for people that were going through the same kinds of struggles that you were going through. Was this a crashing of some sort? Did you kind of quickly get back on track? Thank goodness. The second time around, I got back on track relatively quickly. I was still, you know, out and crazy for uh, about six months. It was then that I recognized, at least for someone like me, that I couldn't hold these things in separate boxes. Just like you said, I needed a platform to support sustainable mm. recovery and relapse prevention. And that, it was out of that that this whole thing, Y12SR, was developed. You know, something that addressed the somatic pieces that I was addressing in the yoga practice and the cognitive pieces that I was addressing directly in, in, in the 12-step program. 
I love that because that's the the equivalent of mind-body, and you've added community into that because the 12-step combines the cognitive and the community aspects. So this is your program that you created. Yes. And you now teach other teachers. So when did you start this program and how many people have you served and how many teachers have you trained? You know, I'd love to hear, you know, the kinds of people that you're you're able to help through this program. Um, so it started really in 2003. And I, I think the very first Y12SR, what we call intensive, was in 2004. I, I was looking for a way to bridge the... 12-step community who was was beginning to look and explore these questions about this physical dimension of the body. And then of the yoga community, really, who was who wanted to hear more about the 12-step program. So it was just this way to bridge, begin to bridge these two communities. And that's how it all started here in Indianapolis, Indiana. The theme of Watovisar is the issues live in our tissues, right? Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is through this somatic release to be able to release the things that get held in in our bodies. So um, it all started out that way. And then it grew. We were doing the intensive, this weekend long thing uh, for a while, maybe three or four times a year as a workshop. And we started seeing people from other uh, communities around the Midwest began to come. And then the folks that had gone through it would say, you know, three or four times a year is great, but we'd like more. And so those who had gone through the workshop started meeting together, first on a monthly basis, and uh, then it became more frequent. And what we would do was we would have a topic or a discussion much like a 12-step meeting discussion, it would be on some principle that was uh, you know, taught in both yoga and the 12-step program. And then directly after that, we'd have what we call a trauma-informed themed yoga practice based on that discussion topic. And that became what are now Y12SR meetings. And they're over 200 of them going on across the United States now. Uh, yeah. It's gone inter- international. There are meetings in several places internationally. After that, we started training other yoga teachers and movement professionals to go back into their own home communities to offer what it was we were offering in, in, in Indianapolis. Well, Nikki, you are unbelievable that you've had such a like such an amazing and complicated background and journey and that it's been a gift in many ways, the way that you've just turned it into something that you can, you know, it's such a gift of generosity, really, that you are able to give back to so many people that are so, you know, deeply challenged with addiction. Patricia, there's this phrase in the 12-step program that I love, and it says, at some point, you will not regret your past, Mm. nor will you wish to shut the door on it. And that is true for me today. Wow. You know, I do not regret my past. This has been a journey, and what we teach in in Watovisar more than anything else 
It's a journey, a reintegration, a reintegration of all parts of myself. There is no part of me that's bad, awful, and wrong, right? right? There, you know, this has been a reintegration of all parts of myself. That's why it's easy for me to publicly talk about commercial sex work, my throes of addiction, the the domestic violence, all of that. It's as easy for me to talk about that as it is being an MBA and mm. a yoga therapist. And right. because it's all the same, it's all the same. And that's part of, of the big piece of this for me is hopefully having people see we can reintegrate all parts of ourselves. Yoga and the 12-step program has been this path, this journey of reintegration. Well, you're a tribute to that. You're, is it 16 years? It's 16 years since the last relapse. Yay! Yay! <laughs> that is so awesome. Congratulations. And I, I really applaud everything that you do. You're just, you are amazing, Nikki. I'm, I'm just so grateful to be able to talk to you. Thanks so much to Nikki, and thank you all for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Nikki's work, go to y12sr.com. We look forward to sharing more inspiring stories on our next episode. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at untangle at And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio by Gaim in the App Store. See you next time. <laughs>